Matthew chapter 28, the title of this morning's sermon is Our Mission. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. When you've arrived there, will you stand as we read God's word together? Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew records this. He says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Heavenly Father, help us to be faithful to the mission that you have called us to, to make much of your great name throughout the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin by actually telling you where we're going next week. Uh, So you know we just finished our series entitled Be Faithful, where we looked at some of those fundamental, what we consider fundamental elements of the Christian faith and what, what it looks like to just be faithful. Uh, and some of those, those things that oftentimes we, seem as, we see as insignificant in the Christian life, but the things by which, to be frank, our Christian life will be measured, right? Because faithfulness is one in the what? In the small things. That's right. Uh, it's not those big leap of faith moments. It's not the stepping out on faith moments. Faithfulness in the Christian life is one by the little things. So we finished up that series. Uh, and, and where we're going next week is we're actually going to dive into the book of Galatians. So we're going to plant ourselves in the book of the Galatians for a few months. Uh, so I would encourage you that even over this next week to start reading through the book of Galatians, familiarizing yourself with it, uh, write down questions that you might have, uh, and we're going to spend a good bit of time walking through that book. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but this morning, having finished our series on being faithful, uh, we're going to take just one week and we're going to focus on our mission as a church. This is something that we like to do frequently. Uh, We're going to uh, look again at our mission statement and talk a little bit about where it came from, how we fulfill it, and where we as a church are focused on going. And here's the reason that we wanted to do that. Some of you might be like, man, we do this often. We we constantly kind of refer back to this mission statement. Well, there, there are three reasons why this morning we wanted to take just this one week and once again look at our mission statement. The first reason is because it is good to be reminded of what we as a collective body, the the body of New Breed Church, what we believe our mission to be. It it is good to be reminded. Our mission statement as we see it, it's our marching order. So if you want to know what New Breed Church is about, we would tell you, if someone came and asked me, hey, what's New Breed Church about? Normally I say the mission statement, right? We exist to make disciples, to show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel. That's our marching orders. That is what this body collectively is all about. But the the second reason is to motivate you. You've heard the statement, out of sight, out of mind. Well, we don't ever want that to be the case when it comes to our mission as New Breed Church. We want our mission statement to be known by every member so that we can live faithfully as a collective body in the community that God has placed us. My desire is that if I came to any one of our covenant members and said, what is our mission statement, you would be able to say it to me. 
Again, it's our, it's our marching orders. We want to we know it. We want to be reminded of it so that we know what we are about as the body. But here's the third reason that we thought it would be a good idea to address uh, our, our mission statement and, and, and to look again at what New Breed is all about. As many of you guys know, New Breed has gone through a lot of changes in its short life. A lot of changes. We have in the few years, what we're, we're at five years we just celebrated our, our, our fifth anniversary. We've been in three different locations now. Uh, so we started at Shawnee High School. They gave us the boot, right? So then we went to Baptist Tabernacle. And so now we're here, and we've been here planted at this location for a couple years now. We've also gone through some leadership transition, right? So Pastor TC felt called to go to Indianapolis a few years ago, and so he, he headed out that way. And so uh, we, we brought in Dr. Curtis Woods as a transitional pastor to kind of walk with us through that. Uh, after about a year's time, we as a body decided that, that, that I should take over as that lead pastor. And, and just, just a side note, I praise God that that was as smooth as it was. Because you know how difficult it can be for some churches and how much momentum they lose when they have to transition pastors. And I feel like we didn't miss a beat as a body. I felt like we kept moving. We knew what we were about. We knew what God, had called, what God has called us to, and we just kept grinding. So I praise God for that. But, but the reason I think it's important for, for, for me to focus on this is this is actually one of the first times as I've been in this role of pastor that I've been the one preaching the vision and mission sermon to you. And so I wanted to do it in some sense to reassure you that though we've gone through transitions and though I've stepped in, in this role as, as, uh, stepped into this role as lead pastor, the mission of, of New Breed has stayed the same. We are still about what we've always been about. We exist to make disciples to show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel. And my prayer is that as long as there is breath in the life of this church, that will be our mission. And I know that it will be. The reason for that is because it's guarded by you. And so it doesn't really matter who stands up here in this place to preach the word of God to you because you, the saints, the congregation, guard the mission of this church. And I would trust you that if anyone stepped into this place and said, we are not about making disciples to show off Christ where life exists, that that would be the last time that person ever stepped into this space. We know what we are about. And so I want to reassure you that though New Breed has gone through changes, the mission has stayed the same. Again, so this is our mission statement, right? We exist as a collective body. We exist to make disciples, to show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel, right? So we want to see disciples made. And it is those disciples that, that are showing off Christ where life exists. So that includes us as disciples, but it also includes those that we will engage in the discipleship process. We want to see them showing off the glory of Christ where life exists. And we think that we do this, we accomplish this task of making disciples through two areas, by gathering and by going. So we want to gather around the gospel, and we want to go with the gospel. And that is what New Breed is all about. But here's the beautiful thing. We believe that this mission comes straight out of Scripture. This isn't something that we thought up, that we thought was clever. We believe that it comes straight from the word of God. And if we are to fulfill this mission, we have to properly understand what it is, where it comes from, and what it requires of us. So this morning, as we walk through the Great Commission here in Matthew 28, I want to offer you four things to consider if we are going to be faithful to the mission. If we are going to be faithful to the mission, four things that we have to remember. So here's the first thing. Faithfulness 
to the mission begins with submission. Faithfulness to the mission begins with submission. Look there at verse 18. It says that Jesus came near and said to them, All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? So if we are going to be faithful to the mission, it begins with submission. And we have to submit to the proper authority. And this should go without saying, church, but I, I want to remind you that Christ is the proper authority. That Christ is the only authority. Right? Jesus begins this way as he gives this commission to his disciples because he wants them to understand that this isn't just anyone making this demand on their life. Right? It isn't just some random person coming up to the disciples and saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's not some random guy. It is one who has authority. And it is given to him by God. Why? Why does Jesus Christ have the authority to make this demand, to make this this call on the life of his disciples? Well, it's because of what he's accomplished. That's what Philippians 2 tells us, that Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now listen, for this reason. So what's the reason? Because he submitted, right? He was humble and he came in and served and died a death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. See, we must must recognize that Christ has authority to give us a mission because we understand what Christ has done for us. It is because of his finished work on the cross in the empty tomb that Jesus Christ can make the declaration that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this isn't some random person making this call, right? It's not the church who calls us to this mission. It's not pastors who are calling you to this mission. It's not other Christians. It's not associations. Jesus Christ himself calls us to be about this mission of making disciples. And again, Jesus has every right given to him by God in light of his death and resurrection to call us to this mission. You know, in John's account of the Great Commission, John writes in John 20, verse 21, it says that Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. It's built into our name, Christian, that we will do what Jesus did. You know what Christian means, right? To be Christ-like. And so Jesus himself says, listen, the Father sent me. And as he sent me, I am sending you. And so if we claim the name of Christ, we have to submit to the authority that Jesus has over us to call us to go and make disciples of all nations. It's built into what it is we say that we believe. But I want you to hear this, though. Submission, it does not solely depend on recognizing Jesus' authority. It also depends on us learning to humble ourselves. Even the word submission seems to demand real humility from us. I'm going to put it bluntly. In this mission to make disciples to show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel, there is no room for us. 
What I mean by that is there is no room for our pride. There is no room for our ego. There is no room for our ambition and our selfish pursuits. It doesn't work that way. We have to humble ourselves. There's no job too small. The mission is not ultimately about us. And we see this even in what we say in our mission statement. Who is it that we want to see shown off? To show off Christ. To show off Christ where life exists. And, and we've got to understand that fulfilling this mission might put us, our family, our finances, our careers, our friends, and even our lives in danger. But hear me, fulfilling this mission that is set before us cannot happen with half-hearted Christians. It cannot happen with half-hearted Christians. Because here's what happens. If we are focused on ourselves, even partially, even halfway, that means that half of our effort is not about showing off Christ. It's usually about showing off ourselves. And what I've seen and what I've experienced, and maybe you're different, you're not, is that, is that if, if we are trying to show off anything other than Jesus, that other thing will always win out when the two come in conflict. So if I want to make much of myself in my career, but I say I want to make much of Jesus and those two are at odds, see, I've not humbled myself enough if I'm trying to make much of myself already that I'll say I'll submit to what God wants. And I'm going to continue to pursue my career at the, uh, forsaking the mission that's before me. So we've got to understand that, that this is something that cannot be completed by half-hearted Christians. And just to be frank with you, God won't tolerate half-hearted Christians. We see this with the church of Laodicea. Well, it's a scary passage of scripture when God's addressing this church and he looks at these believers and he says, listen, because you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus in that, in that passage in Revelation communicates to us, and this is crazy to think about, he'd rather us be all in or all out. But what he hates, what makes him sick is those that are in the middle trying to play both sides. There is no room for half-hearted Christianity when it comes to fulfilling this mission. And so we have to pray that God gives us grace to humble ourselves, to submit to him in light of what he has done for us to make much of his great name, even if it costs us our own name. James 4, 6 remind us that, reminds us that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So faithfulness to the mission begins with our submission. We submit to the authority and we pursue humility to live under that authority in every sphere of our life. But here's the, the second thing that we have to remember. And this is very important. Faithfulness to the mission requires action. Faithfulness to the mission requires action. Look at Verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. All right, now this is really interesting to me. And I know, right, going into this, this is not going to be as interesting to some of you. But y'all are going to have to track with me here, okay? Uh, because it's going to get a little thick for a minute, but, but please track with me because I'm making a point. In these verses that we just read, see, we're going to do a little Greek work. And you know I don't normally do Greek work. Very rarely will I ever reference the, the original language. But I think the original language is so significant here because if we don't understand it, we actually miss the point of this text. So, again, it's going to get thick, but track with me. In the verses that we just read, there are four verbs that are directed at us. 
right? Four actions that are directed at the reader. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So in those two verses, those are the four actions that are required of the reader. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Now, now here's where it starts to get interesting. If you examine them in the original language, you learn that you, you learn a little bit more about these words. And, and, and again, you can't really get this in the English language. So I'm going to break it down for you. In Greek, there's something called a participle. Uh, there, there's participle in English, too. But uh, I know some of y'all are like, well, I didn't learn that in English class. So we're just going to talk about it in the Greek and just pretend like you, sh you, you, know, you didn't need to know it. But, but a participle, right? A participle is not the main verb of a sentence. But what it does is it modifies that main verb of a sentence. So it's not the focus of the sentence, but it helps you understand the main verb, the main action. An imperative is a command, right? So when, when, when something is written as an imperative in the original language, it is a command given, okay? So you have a participle, which modifies a, a main verb, and you have an imperative, which is a command. So again, bear with me. Three of those verbs are participles meaning that they are not the main verb of the text. They're not the main action that Jesus wants us to understand is to be completed. They're not what he's focusing on primarily. Not that they're not significant. He wouldn't have said them if they weren't significant, but they're not the main verb, right? And so the three participles, the three things that are helping us understand the main verb are go, baptize, and teach. So those three verbs are meant to help us understand the main verb, right? And the main verb is make disciples. The main verb is make disciples. So in the Greek, it's written as one word, mathetesate, and that word is written in the aorist imperative active. The only thing you need to know is that it's an imperative. Remember what an imperative is? It's a command. So, so the word make disciples, which again, translated, if you translate it literally, would just be disciple. So the text would read, having gone, disciple people. So, so that's the word. It's a command that is given, and in the form it's written, it is a command that's given that the, the one giving the command is expecting it to be completed. Without question. He's assuming that you're going to do this. So the main command in our text is to make disciples. To make disciples. That's the focus of 28, uh, 19, and 20. All those other verbs... They're meant to help us understand how we do that and what it looks like to make disciples. So let's go back to our mission statement, all right? So we exist to make disciples. We're trying to honor what Matthew 28 is telling us, that the primary task for us as Christians, as it relates to the Great Commission, is our primary task is to make disciples. That's what we're about, making disciples. That is what we as New Breed Church have to be all about, making disciples. Disciples. Now, I want to be really clear about this. That should be the main motivation for everything that we do, making disciples. So what that means is that our primary motivation is not meeting physical needs of those around us. Our primary motivation is not making our community safer. Our primary motivation is not making others outside of our community see our community as valuable. That is not our primary motivation. I want to be really clear. Those are things that are implied with the gospel, right? We want to meet physical needs. We want to, we want to make our community safe as we see people come to know and value human life, right? We want people to value every image bearer. But our main motivation, 
has to be to make disciples of Jesus. And all of those other things are meant to be avenues through which we can do that. So we, we meet physical needs in hopes that we will get an opportunity to share the gospel to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right? Are, you, are you tracking with me here? So our main motivation has to be to make disciples. And that's what we've reflected in our mission statement. And the means that we do this is by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel. And we believe that this is consistent with what Jesus commands in the verses that we just read. So let me break that down for you. Let's look at our gathering as a church. It's through the gathering of the saints that we seek to utilize two of those participles, baptism and teaching, right? It is through the gathering of the body. So we gather together as the body of Christ to be spurred on in our discipleship process. And this is the case for the brand new Christian, and this is the case for the Christian who's walked with Jesus for 50 years, because I want to remind you that discipleship is a lifelong process. No one makes it in this world. We don't reach a point where we no longer need to be made more like Jesus. Not in this world. So I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus or how little you've walked with Jesus. We are all in this process of being made to look more like Jesus. And we call that discipleship. We are being made more and more into a disciple. And, and the primary means by which we do that through gathering is by meeting here on Sunday mornings. To be shaped and molded to look more like Jesus. Jesus, right? But baptism is the entrance into the covenantal gathered body of Christ. So we would say, and again, if you come to the baptism class next week, we'll talk more about this, but we would say that the moment you are baptized, you become a member of that church, right? That's why when we baptize people here, that same Sunday, they will sign the covenant of New Breed Church. Because when you are baptizing, baptized, it is your first act of obedience. It is you being ushered into the covenant community of God. But that's also why we believe that baptism should not be done outside the local church. Because what are you joining when you're baptized outside of the local church? Listen, I love parachurch ministries, and those are ministries that like support the church. And there's some that I love and value greatly. But one of the things that drives me crazy is when parachurch ministries baptize people because they're not the church. And so what covenantal family are you bringing them into? What accountability are you placing them under? Baptism is meant to be done in the gathered assembly because the gathered assembly affirms the faith of the person who is being baptized and in turn is covenanting to come alongside them in their discipleship process. That's why we take baptism so seriously here. We don't just baptize our kids in our bathtub with our family around. Right? We do it in the context of the local church because baptism is the first act of obedience and it is what ushers you into the covenantal family of God. So that's one of the participles that we're called to fulfill, to baptize. And we do that as we gather together as the local church. And once you are baptized and a part of the body, there is an expectation that you will continue to gather under the teaching of the word to be spurred on. As we gather, we are fulfilling the teaching mandate of Matthew 28. Y'all get what I'm saying? Okay. And so at New Breed Church, our gathering consists of three main areas. Right? This is how New Breed Church plays out this gathering aspect. The first one is our Sunday morning worship. And I would argue that you cannot flake on Sunday morning worship. The Bible tells us, let us not neglect to meet together is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've said it many times before, right? We need one another. As we fight to look like Jesus in a world that hates him, we need one another. 
We need one another as we walk through sin in our own life. We need one another for accountability. We need one another for confession. We need one another to bear one another's burdens. We need one another just to rejoice with one another. We need one another. And so the primary means of gathering for New Breed Church is the Sunday morning gathering. And it is so significant to us that as you covenant in membership, you covenant to commit yourself to Sunday morning gatherings. That you will be here to be spurred on, to be taught, because we're all about making disciples. And to make disciples, you have to be taught. And so the primary means by which we do that is through our Sunday worship. But we've gone a little further than that, right? And this is extra biblical. So it's, I, I would say that if you're not in one of these, you're not breaking the covenant, you're not violating scripture. But there are ways in which we help further the teaching, help further the diving into scripture and the discipleship. So we gather in community groups. And we value our community groups, which is why we've taken a break for them for the summer, because by God's grace, and it is a blessing, we've outgrown the community groups that we have, and we needed more. And I'm excited that right now we have the potential of launching seven new community groups. And that's great. Praise God for that. That's a big jump from three, amen? I love all of you, especially those who are in my community group, but I'm excited to not have 30 people in my house anymore. It is not built for that. And we got kids running around, throwing crackers everywhere. I'm excited that we are going to get to launch more community groups. And I think those smaller groups will allow us to go even deeper into our discipleship process. And so for a lot of people, when people come to me and they say, Pastor Michael, uh, I'm struggling to connect with people at church. I'm struggling to build healthy relationships. The first question I always ask them is, are you in a community group? And if the answer is no, I direct them to a community group. If the answer is yes, we go a little bit deeper into it. But our first stop for deep fellowship outside of the, local, uh, of the Sunday morning gathering is community groups. That's where we dive deep into confession and accountability and transparency, where we reflect on what the Holy Spirit's been teaching us as we, as we hear the sermon. We reflect on God's word. It is a means of being discipled. And then the third area that our gathering consists of. So we have Sunday worship at the top, we have community groups, and under that we have DNA relationships. Discipleship, nurturing, and accountability. They're DNA relationships. And, and the way that DNA relationships play out is our goal is that we as pastors don't have to structure these things for you. So that not everybody has to church come to me and say, hey, Michael, I need a DNA relationship. Connect me with somebody in the church. Our prayer is that as people grow, it, grow together in community group, that that will spur off into one-on-one -on -one relationships where maybe you're in community group and you say, man, I've just really been struggling with pride. And, and another brother or sister comes along beside you and says, you know what? I really had to fight against that too. Let's start meeting together and let me just kind of love on you and press on you in that area and, and see you sanctified in that area. Maybe it's two people who are struggling with the exact same thing. It's like, you know what, let's get together and hold one another accountable. Somebody once told me it's a bad idea to have two people struggling with the same thing, hold each other accountable. I fundamentally disagree because it's neglecting the fact that we also have the Holy Spirit within us. And so we can spur one another on as we fight. Because if you've got to find somebody that doesn't struggle with what you struggle with in order to grow to be like Jesus, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. Because there's no temptation that has overtaken you except that which is common to man. Right? And so we want to grow into these closer relationships. And one of the great joys for me these past few years at Newbreed has been hearing randomly about DNA relationships that have popped up that I didn't even know were going on. We want to see these kind of organic relationships form, these discipleship, nurturing, accountability relationships form that just flow out of our fellowship in the Sunday gathering and through community groups. And it's happening at Newbreed Church, praise God. 
And so when we say gather around the gospel, that's what we're talking about. We are exercising those two action words, baptism and teaching. And we do that through Sunday worship, through community groups, and through DNA relationships. So we exist to make disciples who show off Christ. Where life exists, we want to make disciples. We do it by gathering with the gospel. But we also have to look at going with the gospel. So we talked about the words or the verb baptize and teach. And now we have to look at the verb go. Verse 19 begins with that verb, go. And I want to be really clear with you up front. Going, though it is not the main imperative... It's not the main command in this text. It, it still is not optional. It's not optional. And, you know, it's interesting because when most people preach Matthew 28, at least I've heard it, and I, I'll, I'll be frank, I've done it myself before I really kind of did my homework on the original language, they typically make the focus go. They, 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 they make that the main verb of this text, that it's all about going, it's all about going. And I want to stress to you that going is important, but it's not the main part of this text. The main part of this text is making disciples, but what Jesus wants us to understand is you cannot make disciples if you don't go. You cannot do it. It's actually really interesting because even as it was written in the original language, see, this is why I'm thankful that like I... I tried to learn Greek and have maintained it throughout the years because you learn really cool stuff when you can read it in the original language. I think all of you should learn Greek. No amens? Okay. Um, when you look at that word in the, in the original language, it actually translates as having already gone. Now that's really interesting because as Jesus is saying this, he's saying having gone make disciples. So Jesus is already under the assumption that his disciples have gone. He's already assuming that they are in the world, around lost people, around believers, making much of the great name of Jesus. It is assumed that if you are a Christian, you are going. It is assumed. Jesus is expecting that no matter what his disciples do or where they go, Jesus is expecting them to, to go and to do with gospel intentionality with the aim of making disciples. And again, I, just being honest with you, too many Christians take this idea of going with the gospel as an optional aspect of their Christianity. There's just one problem with that. Jesus doesn't make it optional. The way that he speaks to his disciples assumes that they're already going, that they are already on mission. They are already making much of the great name of Jesus. And we have stressed this many times from this stage even, that there is no salvation from something without a salvation to something. In other words, you don't get the benefit of redemption without the demand of redemption. There are a lot of people who have read like Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free and thought, man, because I'm now in Jesus, I am free to do whatever I want. That's not the case. That's not what freedom means. It's because I have been saved by the grace of God, been washed in his blood because the tomb is empty. I am now freed because of my faith and repentance to finally follow Jesus. That's what we're free to do. It's not a freedom to do whatever we want. It's a freedom that we didn't have in our sinful nature to follow after Jesus. And we now have that opportunity. You can't be saved from something without being saved to something. There is a demand placed on us in light of what Christ has done. But I want to be really clear, for those of us who are in Christ, it should not be a burdensome demand. We can't look at it as if God is placing this heavy load on us 
that we now have to go share our faith. No, the, the, the better perspective would be that, that it is a joy-filled demand that we now get to. It's not that we have to. It's now we now get to go and make much of this Jesus who has saved us. And it should be a joy for us to make much of our God. As we engage with lost people, our aim is to begin this discipleship process. And this is very important. The first step of discipleship is not salvation. The first step of discipleship is evangelism. So when we are sharing our faith with someone, we, are, we have started the process of disciple making. We have, we have started this process. And it doesn't mean they'll go in. It does not guarantee that someone who hears will go any further in the discipleship process. But the disciple making process begins with sharing our faith. See, a lot of us will read, well, we got to make disciples. So what that means is that the pastors have to go out and get the lost people and bring them into the church. And then we'll come alongside them and help these already Christians grow in their faith. That's not what discipleship, that's not where it begins. Discipleship begins with evangelism. And if we are all called to make disciples, then we are all called to go and tell people about Jesus. If we are going to make disciples, if we are going to be faithful to our mission, we have to gather around the gospel. We have to go with the gospel. Faithfulness to the mission demands action. Here is the third thing we have to remember. Faithfulness to the mission requires a bigger vision. Faithfulness to the mission requires a bigger vision. I want you to notice how Jesus commands us to, to make disciples of all nations. To make disciples of all nations. You all know this, especially those of you who are members here. You better know it. The beautiful truth of the gospel is that it not only tears down the wall of hostility between us and God, but it tears down the wall of hostility that exists between individuals. Therefore, the gospel is for everyone, and the gospel unites everyone. And I want to be clear about this. One of the things that New Breed values and we will continue to value is diversity in the local body. We will continue to value diversity in the local body. You know that that's a concern of your pastors because you know we went through this long process of looking for pastors because when TC left, our diversity on our elder board left as well, right? We're not a huge elder board. And we, we value that and we want that. We also believe, though, that God has led the church and led me in this position. But I want you to hear from me as your pastor that one of my chief aim, aims as your lead pastor is to raise up minority leadership. Because we believe it is faithful and consistent with the Great Commission, right? We want to see people from every tribe, every tongue, and nation represented, not only in the global church, but even in the local church as it relates to our context. We value diversity in the body because if we don't, we can't value the gospel. The gospel demands reconciliation between us and God and reconciliation between us and one another. It demands it of us. We can't just have the vertical reconciliation and say we're a gospel church. We want to model the horizontal re reconciliation as well, and we value that. We value that. And, you know, people ask me often when I share about New Breed, like, you say you're a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. What do you mean by that? And the way that I always say it, and some of you have heard this, is we want to be multi-ethnic in practice and not picture. And what I mean by that is a lot of churches you go into, and if they lined up all the members and took their group photo, you know, like, and they'd say, look. We have white, brown, black faces in our body. We're multicultural. 
You might be multi-ethnic, but you're not multicultural because we want to be multicultural in practice, meaning that we can take the beautiful aspects of different cultures and different personalities and different backgrounds, and we represent them in how we worship and what we do on Sunday mornings. Right? We want to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Again, not just so we can say, look how great we are, because we believe the gospel demands it of us. We value that in this local body, and we will always value it. But here's the thing, right? We can't stop there. And I think sometimes, even at Newbury, we've limited ourselves to that. As that our chief aim is to develop a, a church that, is, that, that engages people from this community, that makes disciples, and we have different people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, different ethnicities from our community, and then we're all right here. And if we've done that, we've made it. But we've got to have a bigger vision than that. Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations. All nations. We want to see the nations come to know Jesus. I stressed this a couple weeks ago. I told you it was going to come up again in another sermon, but, but I, I believe that God is doing incredible things through New Breed. I really do, and I am praying for the day when New Breed Church starts sending people out. And I know for some people that's scary. It's like, well, we don't have that many as it is, right? But I pray that God starts sending people out to plant new churches. I pray that we get to send missionaries out across the world to go reach people who have never heard the name of Jesus. I long for the day we get to spend a Sunday laying hands on missionaries that we are about to send out. We want to be a church, though we are small, that is about making disciples of the nations. And I believe that through the power of God, we can do that. Some of us are like, well, there's no way we're too small. We've got to remember who our God is. You know, one of the things that stood out to me that, that you know, Ali and I, we shared this, we went to the, the SBC conference. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was that when Dr. Paul Chitwood, who used to be the executive director of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, he's now the president of the International Mission Board, when he stood on that stage and said, we have appointments that are waiting to be filled. We just need people to go. They're already funded. They just need people to go across the world. Man, what would it look like for New Breed to start sending out the best of us? And I know that's a scary thing for me as a pastor to say, right? Because, like, <laughs> we like the best of us. And that's all of you. You're all the best of us. Just, you know, second grade pep talk right there. No, but, but those who, who have matured a little in their faith and they're further on in the discipleship process, those who are already modeling service, those who are leaders in the church, what would it look like for us to send them out to go make disciples of all the nations? And I know it's scary, but I believe that if God sends people out, he will provide what we need down the road. I want to be a church that, man, that we reach the nations right now, church, right now. There are 6,500 to 7,000 unreached people groups. That means of all the people groups in the world, approximately 40% of them have never heard the name of Jesus. And our task is to make disciples of all nations, and it is a big task, but we praise God that we have a big God and he uses small people. I long for us to send people out. Right, we need a little bit bigger of a vision of what it looks like to go and make disciples to show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going where, with the gospel. Life might exist for some of us in India, in Iraq, Southeast Asia, but we want to see people living where life exists, showing off Jesus. But when we consider disciple making, we have to start here in our own community. We don't stop here but we have to start here.
You know, the last thing that Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8 was that before his ascension, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The interesting thing about that list of locations that is it starts locally and it broadly goes out. So they were in Jerusalem. So we're going to start here and we're going to reach Jerusalem with the gospel. And then we're going to go to Judea. And we're going to reach Judea with the gospel. And then we're going to go to Samaria. And we're going to reach Samaria with the gospel. And then we're going to go to the ends of the earth. And we're going to reach this world with the gospel. And that was what Jesus commissioned his disciples. The last thing he spoke to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm convinced of one thing, New Breed. We will never be a church that sends people across the nation if we can't walk across our streets. And you and I have to be leading the fight and making disciples to show off Christ where life exists. And we have to be engaging the lost people around us with gospel intentionality. We have to, church. If not, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like if all this has, if all that New Breed is going to be is a place where we just come and hang out and feel a little bit better about ourselves and then go live our lives however we want to, I don't really want to be a part of that. But I don't think you do either. That's what drew you here, right? We need to be leading the charge and making disciples. And hear me, I know it's scary and I know it can be hard, but it is the task that we have been commissioned with and Jesus has authority to make that request. And so it's an issue of obedience or disobedience, not option. Either we are being obedient to the call to make disciples or we are being sinful in our disobedience when we refuse. And you know what I've learned, and I think you have too, it's just better to be obedient. It's just better. It's not safer, but it's better. Because we know that we don't, reli- we don't live for safety in this world. We don't live for rewards in this world. We live for what is to come. And all of us long to hear these simple words when we're done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness to the mission demands a bigger vision. Here's the last thing, the fourth thing that we have to remember, the fourth point, and we'll wrap up. Faithfulness to the mission requires compassion. Faithfulness to the mission requires compassion. I just want you to know that I believe that God still has a heart to reach the lost people around us. I believe that God has a heart bent on seeing disciples made. That has not changed. And we we have to fight for a heart for the lost as well. It's clear we have a call to minister, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded us. That's our call. It's our marching orders. We just said it a little differently in our mission. But it's the same thing. And so the problem doesn't necessarily lie in the fact that we don't understand or we don't hear the call. I think so often the problem comes in and that we just don't have a heart of compassion for the lost. One of the professors that I had in seminary, Dr. Timothy Booker, he wrote a really helpful small book about overcoming walls to witnessing, trying to spur us on to, to share the gospel. And I love this book. I think I've actually referenced these points before, but it's been so long that y'all probably forgot them, so I can say them again. One of the things that Dr. Booker says is that the key ingredient for making disciples is a heart of compassion. And, and he gives five steps to help us develop, to develop a heart of compassion. So five steps. So here's the first step that he says. The first step in developing a heart of compassion is to honestly face the truth that people outside of Christ 
are destined for hell. The first step in developing a heart of compassion is to honestly face the truth that people outside of Christ are destined for hell. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. And the sad reality is that there are people around us who are lost and dying and going to hell. And many of us don't care. We have to honestly face the truth that people outside of Christ are destined for hell. And I know why that's a tough one for us, right? Because many of us who are in Christ, we don't like to think about hell anymore because we know we're not going there. But there are still people who are. And the gospel demands that we recognize that there is a real joy that comes from faith in Jesus, but there is a real hell and utter destruction. I think this alone should create a desire within us to go and make disciples. I found it ironic that an atheist I once read had a better grasp of this than some Christians do. There is this track um, that I had, and I'm glad I saved it in my notes because I can't find the track anymore, but it was written by an atheist and it was entitled, A Track Written by an Atheist. So you knew exactly what it was. And in it, he writes this, though. Listen, this is written from someone who does not believe in a God. But he says this. Did I firmly believe, as millions say that they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another? Religion would mean more to me than everything. I would cast away every earthly enjoyment, earthly cares, and earthly thoughts as worthless. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank into my consciousness. I would look at one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences should never keep my hand from being active in the cause of the gospel nor steal my lips if he believed. And we do. That should be our testimony that a life of suffering is worth one soul, one disciple made, knowing that heaven rejoices at that person. A second step toward cultivating a heart of compassion is to recognize that time is short. James 4.14 reminds us that our life is like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Hear me, church, there is not time for the well, I'll get around to it mindset. And we, in our context, should know that better than most. I've shared this with you before. One of the most heartbreaking parts about my job here at the center in the seven years that I've been here is I've done seven funerals for my kids. Three of them were shot and killed. Two of them overdosed. One died of natural causes, and the most recent one committed suicide. Time is short for so many. I went through last night because I wanted to add a little bit of kick to this, to this point, and I went through and just mapped out the homicides in our city since January 1st, and as I read name after name and age after age and what happened, I couldn't even put it in the sermon because there are people who are dying around us right now, and we act like we have time. While I was working on this sermon this week, five notifications from local news came up of people that were shot, five, just as I was focusing on this one sermon this week. We have to understand that time is short. So many of us got to get beyond this. Well, I'll wait till my kids grow up. Well, I'll wait till my career takes off. Well, I'll wait till my family's put together. I'll wait till I'm married. We don't have time. Real people need to hear about Jesus right now. Here's the third means of cultivating a heart of compassion. It is to spend consistent time in Scripture. 
This is essential because we cannot effectively share about our Savior and our God if we don't know anything about him. How will we be able to deal with the questions and decipher what is right if we don't have a solid biblical foundation to stand on? Here's the fourth means of developing a heart of compassion. The fourth means of developing a heart of compassion is to spend time with lost people. If you only hang out with Christians, you are doing it wrong. Can I tell you that you can be really good friends with a lost person? It's okay. Just don't act like them. Don't think like them. Don't talk like them. But be friends with them and make much of Jesus. Here's the fifth and the final means that he gives of developing a heart of compassion. It's prayer. The fifth means of developing a heart of compassion is prayer. We may need to literally get on our knees and ask God to break us of our selfishness, ask God to break us of our fear, and ask God for our hearts to be broken with the things that break his heart. And I'm going to tell you up front that if you're willing to do that, it is a powerful prayer, but it is a risky prayer because God might just do it. And he might just change everything. But it's faithful. If I could add one to his list, and I'm going to end with this, I would add that a sixth means of developing a heart of compassion is to reflect frequently on the gospel. Because the gospel humbles us. I mean, when we really reflect on the gospel, not as an abstract concept, but the gospel as it has changed us. Because the gospel reminds me that I was once a wretched sinner who had rebelled against God. And I know what I once was. And you know what you once were. I had tried to rob God of his glory. I hated God. I didn't want anything to do with God. And yet he pursued me. And he sought after me and he called me and he saved me. And I still put up a fight. And he's never let me go. And that's what we believe, that all of us, every single one of us has rebelled against God and we deserve hell. No exception. And yet God has loved us so much that he sent Jesus to come and live this perfect life that we were expected to live, but we couldn't. And we deserve to die, and yet Jesus died in our place. And God, listen, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy death. I'm not talking about physically, because as Jesus died, God pulled out all of his hatred, all of his anger, all of his wrath for all of our sins on his son. And we put him in a grave, and God raised him from the dead three days later. And there is life and there is freedom in the cross. And so this person that hated God and that had rebelled against God, who has been called by God and loved by God, can now make much of God because of God. And that is what we do. And we reflect on the gospel because it, it's changed us. It's changed us. So as we move forward as a church, as we move into the future, as long as God gives us breath, my prayer is that we would be a church that makes disciples to show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel. And brothers and sisters, family, it's going to take all of us. Let's get to work.